Hi everyone, you're listening to In-Depth Film, a podcast dedicated to the art of cinema. My name is Greg Bucker. And I'm Greg Kotzer. You can support this podcast by liking this video, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel. We'd also love to hear from you, so leave a comment in the comment section below. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, what we discussed in the podcast, and your support really means a lot to us. Hey Greg, so uh, how are you doing? Any, uh, any news? Yeah, Gray, I'm doing well. I spent the weekend with my family. This was the first weekend that I've pretty much had to myself in a very long time. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I've just come off this uh, year and, and a half long documentary film. So yeah, I just felt great to kind of unwind, relax with the family. It was my grandmother's birthday. Um, so we went for tea at the Hohenhort, which is a pretty luxurious nice. estate in Constantia here in Cape Town. And um, I also finished the um, script for the first in-depth Annie film, which I'm excited to start editing today. And uh, just before we started this podcast, I actually read you the uh, the first draft. Yeah, I'm keen to see how that sort of all works out and keen to see the first video once you had all done editing it. Yeah. yeah, I also had quite a family-centered weekend, I guess, or some old friends that I hadn't seen in a while. Also took a bit of a break. Um, the industry is still hasn't picked up to what it normally is because of the whole COVID lockdown situation. Um, although South Africa at least is opening up its international borders next month. Um, so I'm hoping that there's going to be a bit of an influx of commercial work at least, but that remains to be seen. But until then, I'm also focusing quite a lot on making these YouTube videos uh, yeah. for In-Depth Cine. So, so sp- speaking of In-Depth Cine, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, since our last podcast, you've hit the big milestone of 60,000 subscribers, which is uh, absolutely amazing. I mean, that's uh, pretty much the size of our big Cape Town stadium. So how does it feel to look at that number and think that, you know, that's, that's, that's the size of your audience when you're putting a video out there? I mean, it's, it's very surprising, to be honest. Uh, the growth over the last month or so has been has been very unexpected because for in the beginning, for the first couple months, I was putting putting out videos and maybe they'd get a thousand views or whatnot. And then all of a sudden, I guess the YouTube algorithm kicked in for whatever reason. And yeah, they've been doing well. So yeah, it's great. It's really nice to have an audience to, to um, uh, yeah, that sees this content. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest challenges that we as filmmakers have, you know, finding an audience and I just think it's it's so exciting that you're in a position now where, you know, you can put a video out and within a few hours, it can have anywhere between, you know, five to 10,000 views, which is mm-hmm. pretty much what happened with the Phantom Thread video. And even the last video you put out uh, called Don't Touch the Fish, you know, within a matter of hours, it had thousands of views. And yeah, I just, again, as your friend and flatmate, it's really cool to kind of be witnessing this uh, this growth. Yeah, no, it it is great, and I guess most important, it's it's really cool to be making the kind of hopefully informative content that I really wanted to see at the beginning of my film career when I knew nothing. Not to say that I know a lot now, but it's it's nice to hopefully pass on a little bit of that information to mm. people out there. Well, hopefully, in depth Annie and in depth film, this podcast is able to contribute to that. 
to that mission as well. That mission and that discussion around the art of cinema. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, yeah, speaking <laughs> speaking of the art of cinema, uh, what are we talking about today, Greg? So um, because Mulan, the recent 2020 release by Disney, the live action version of Mulan came out, uh, I gave it a watch, and uh, let's just say I had some strong opinions on it. Um, so I sort of recommended Greg to watch it. And then he recommended to me that I go back and watch the, the is it the 1998 animated version? Yes. Yes. So I went and watched the, the 1998 animated version. So we both went and watched both the live action version and the animated version. And we thought uh, there were some interesting differences between the two. And uh, so today, I guess we're going to talk about the why we feel the one version succeeded and the other version didn't. Yeah, I think that uh, it's part of a much broader discussion, which I feel increasingly motivated to have, um, which is the conversation around the difference between, you know, animation versus live action. Uh, And we're seeing this uh, more and more these days because Disney is obviously rebooting so many of their famous animated films, such as Aladdin, The Jungle Book. Uh, Lion King, now Mulan, and I'm sure that they have others planned. And uh, I just think that it's it's really interesting for you know live action filmmakers like yourself and animators like me to sit down and hash out like what exactly is going on here because something is not working. It's very interesting because you know? as you say, they are two very different art forms, but at the same time, they are bound by certain similarities. The fact that we sit in a cinema and watch them together and yet at the same time animation and live action are very different so um i think before we get started maybe you can just give us some background uh, to contextualize things a bit okay so let's just you know go through the 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 kind of key details about the latest release of mulan so this is a film that was directed by nikki caro and nikki caro also directed whale rider uh, many years ago, if anyone's familiar with Rail Rider, then you'll, you'll know Nikki Caro. Um, and the film was obviously produced by uh, Disney. Uh, the cinematography was by Mandy Walker. I'm assuming that that's a woman. Yeah. Do you know Mandy Walker? She's an Australian DP. She shot quite mainstream, relatively large budget stuff as far as I know. Um, but I think we'll get into the cinematography a bit later. Okay, great. Um, and yeah, the animated film, let me just quickly get these details here. Um, the animated film, so this was also produced by Disney. It was directed by Barry Cook and Tony Bancroft. Uh, and it was, um, let's see. Um, oh, and it was made for... This is actually a very important piece of information. The budget. So the, the latest Mulan was made for $200 million and it made $64 million. Roughly. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even realize. So it was a box office failure. Yeah. The previous Mulan, what I would call the original Mulan in 1998, was made for $90 million and it made $304 million. Yeah. So... Which uh, is already quite a, quite a reflection, at least of the audience's general perception of a movie success i would say yeah. it's it's not a hard and fast rule because i guess it is important to remember that this has been released during the time of covid where cinemas are 
not doing well. Yes. Um, uh, so and then at the same time, it was also released on streaming services. Yeah, it was I'm, released on Disney yeah. Plus. Yeah. The, well, the, so. the latest Mulan, uh, yeah, couldn't find a, 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 a traditional theater release, so Disney was forced to put it out on, put Disney, on Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah, so it's it's very difficult to know how accurate those numbers actually are, especially in the world of online streaming. I think that very few people that actually know those numbers and those few people are the people working at Disney Plus, Netflix, very high up in the company, yeah. I imagine. That said, though, I don't think that we have to, um, you know, muddy the waters with any kind of speculation about what would have happened with um, a traditional release. I think that the general consensus of the film is very clear if you go online yeah apart from, from audience perspective yeah, totally apart, apart from a few of the you know professional critics who always seem to be somewhat disconnected from the general <laughs> audiences um i think generally speaking uh most people including ourselves had a number of issues with with the latest mulan release so i think before we get into the criticism let's like we've said in our previous two podcasts, let's try to start on a positive note. Mm. Um, let's maybe begin by talking about the first film, sure. what we liked. We may then maybe we can move on to the second, the, the latest Mulan. Again, talk about a few positives, and then maybe we can uh, talk about the problems that we think are, are present in the film. Yeah. Well, I recently went back and watched the 1998 animated version of Mulan. And really enjoyed it. It's a really, for a sort of family movie, it's a really sweet, really funny, really heartwarming story. Um, so some things I really like about the film are that we, early on, we establish this very sweet bond between the father and the daughter, Mulan, in the animated version, which sort of is the whole key for setting up the drama in the film. And I think in the Tenant podcast, we, we talked about how important that setup is. And for me, Mulan, at least the animated version, is a film which does that really well. It really establishes this strong connection that the father and daughter have and this idea of wanting to bring honor towards the family. And also, critically, it sets up Mulan as someone that is slightly chaotic yes slightly disorganized she's writing crib notes on her arm she's a flawed she, character she's flawed but she's, in a very sweet way as well because yeah. the crib notes are quite a humorous right and, yeah it really works but but i guess the point i'm making is is she she's a character that needs to discover how to be honorable she has to learn how to honor her family yes. she has to learn how to be organized and and disciplined because in the beginning she is she is quite a uh, like a rebellious, you know, um, rascal. You know, she she's chasing the chickens around when when her dad's trying exactly. to pray. Uh, she's dropping cups and breaking things, and yes, you she's know, quite she's, clumsy. Yeah, she's and... a, she's late to the matchmaker, and and that sets her up for like this spectacular arc, which we witness over the film. Yes, it's very clever because, as you say, it it sets her up as a flawed character, but at the same time, it's quite endearing as well. Yeah, and yeah. we really endeared to her from the first shot, just about. Okay, so I'm going to go back on what I said just now. Yeah. Maybe what we should do actually is go is, back and forth. Is go back and forth. I'm thinking that yeah. as well because it brings me immediately to the 2020 version, which starts in a very different manner. Maybe yeah. you want to talk about that. So based on what I remember, I think that I'm. You know, when you have PTSD, sometimes you forget things. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm. I from what I remember. 
Mulan 2020 starts off on a totally different note. It sets up Mulan as this sort of gifted savant yes. who can um, do, perform incredible acts of uh, acrobatics, who can fall off a building that's three stories high and somehow land majestically. She's basically a superhero. She's basically <laughs> like a Goku character. Yeah, She exactly. almost belongs in the realm of Dragon Ball Z. But and in a world which is a bit more realistic but, but, in but, a weird way but at the same time yeah. at the same time you know Nikki Cara in interviews has talked about wanting to make this film realistic and yet the the colorful nature of the of the opening sequences also like I perhaps that is look I, I'm not an expert on Chinese history and Chinese culture mm. but I'm going to wager that it wasn't that colorful well it wasn't that bright and vivid and magical I mean there was color a, does play a very important role in Chinese society. Okay, uh, I do know that. Yeah, but but I think what I enjoyed about the the animation version was, you know, there was still beautiful color, but the the outfits were slightly more toned down. Yeah, and it, there was a bit more of an earthy quality to to the to the to the palettes. For me, what it was is the use of the palette seemed far more deliberate and exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, um, we get introduced to Mulan in the animated version at the beginning, and then these beautiful beautiful pinks of the, of the of flowers the, of the rose petals yeah. and and they're the beautiful greens of this pastoral more rural and then place we, that she comes yes, into which yes. beautifully complement each other and then it goes into the we cut to the bad guy and then it's far more desaturated and dark and gray and they're, they're very clear color palettes whereas from what i saw again i watched this movie a couple of weeks ago but from what i remember is that the color palette in the live action version seemed far more all over the place. It seemed like there wasn't really a coherent color palette, at least in my eye. Right, yeah. right. It, it really seemed like they wanted to just make it as colorful as possible. Yes, rather than you know? using deliberate color, rather yeah. than isolating specific colors and saying, okay, this color palette is pink and green. Yeah. They just yeah. said, this color palette is every color we can think of. That's you know, how it felt to me. So for example, to, to, to illustrate my point, you know, they had a phoenix in, in Mulan, yeah. right? In the 20, Mulan 2020. To you, sort of replace the dragon character. Yeah. And the phoenix was very colorful. Mm. So what they could have done is in the beginning, they could have had all these peasants in drab kind of earthy tones. Mm. And the more, the, what they could have done is they, they could have had Mulan slowly be- enter a more colorful world as she kind of grew into herself. Yes. But from the moment the film starts, it's just so damn colorful. Yeah. And I just think that it's it's an example of how the film starts just on an on an off note. Um, and to, to me, it also distracts. It's just a distracting yeah. form of color. Because at least what I try and do with cinematography is use color in a very deliberate way to draw the viewer's attention to specific things. But when you have so much color just pumped over yeah. the entire image, then it, for me, it becomes too distracting. And I think go, going back a little bit, you mentioned uh, the introduction of the two characters. So for me, a the, kind of sorry, analogy... The, the two your father and, the, the, and Mulan. Yes, and how they were introduced. Um, or we can just talk about the introduction of Mulan and how she was introduced in the live action version as opposed to the animated version. The kind of analogy I thought of is almost Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. So in Lord of the Rings, Frodo is this character who's very much an ordinary person. He doesn't have special abilities. 
He like Mulan in the animated version, he's very flawed. Um, but we also endeared to him. He he's very kind and generous and has a lot of these positive qualities, but they're human qualities. They aren't supernatural qualities. So for me, the live action version would almost be like if Peter Jackson sat down in a meeting and was like, you know what we're going to do with Lord of the Rings? We're going to make Frodo this guy with incredible strength and who knows all the magic in the world and who's able to easily defeat Sauron in the end because he has all this magic and power that he was born with. Yeah. And to me, that really weakens the story and, and the whole and character it, journey. And it robs the story of tension. Yeah. Exactly. You know, because I mean I've said this I've said this to you before in some conversations that we've had about drama and about conflict. You know, what 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 creates what creates drama and tension in a hero's journey is the hero's inability to actually deal with challenges. Exactly. That's what creates tension. Hmm. It, you know, when when Frodo goes on the journey of Lord, in the Lord of the Rings, it's it's so powerful because the odds are so overwhelmingly stacked against such him. a struggle and and he has to overcome so many hurdles to make it to Mordor exactly. and it just felt like uh, from the get go the way that Mulan started um it felt like the only challenge for her really was just acknowledging the superpower mm. which which i guess in and of itself um i don't know perhaps is a film there an interesting story but this brings me to my next point which is that what we have to acknowledge about Mulan 2020 is that we can't separate it from the 1998 animation. And this is one of the biggest problems that I have with the film. So if, if Disney decided to tell a Mulan um, story, but let's say they used a different name, right? Or mm. they were very clear about the fact that this was a totally, totally new reimagining yeah. or whatever. Um, perhaps then I would be more forgiving. But given that the Jungle Book, Aladdin, Lion King reboots have been so powerfully connected to their orig original counterparts, yes, I was expecting Mulan to kind of uh, flow in a similar vein. So I was expecting there to be more of an acknowledgement to the style and sensibilities of the originals. So I was expecting more humor. I was hoping for a Mushu character. I was hoping for... Um, that traditional arc of character development, which we saw in the original one. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that that problem in general underpins so many of my, uh, of my issues with the film. Yes, yeah. And even tonally, I mean, if you look at Mulan, the animated version, and some of the, the tonal aspects that worked, it was really funny. A lot of it yeah. was based off it being a very funny movie. Right. And none of that was present in the new version. There was yeah. basically no humor in it, at least that I found yeah. humorous. Yeah. So, you know? so, so let's, let's backtrack for a second. So mm. we've talked about uh, the introduction of Mulan and the father relationship. Mm. We talked about color. We've spoken about the strange disconnect between the two films. Um, and so, yeah, I think like, let's, let's just sit on the humorous, the humorous idea for a second. Um, I think you're spot on. I think that what made Mulan, the Mulan original, the original Mulan, so enjoyable and memorable was that it had this, it had this wonderful aspect of um, contrast in the in the sense that we had we had the story about Chinese China and Chinese culture and about this ancient Chinese story, but also we had a very american character in the form of mushu who's played by eddie murphy yes and to me that was a really 
that's always been a wonderful aspect of, of Disney's films. And even we, we saw that happening in, um, in Shrek. Maybe that's the best example where you have a lot of pop cultural references mm. and there's a kind of um, this diversity of, of, of ideas and cultures. And it makes the film interesting. It makes the film fun. Like I remember in uh, the original Mulan, there's a scene after Mulan uh, goes uh, bathing in the river. But, yes. You know, and Mushu has to bite the bum of one of the characters <laughs> to get him away from Mulan. Yes. Uh, Mulan and, and Mushu. poses as a river snake. Yeah, he yes. poses as a river snake. As yes. Mulan and Mushu are walking out of the, the river, uh, Mushu is brushing his teeth with toothpaste. Yes. You know, and it's just little. I remember that. It's yes. little things like that. You know, the fact that there's toothpaste and a toothbrush in ancient China yes. that just make the film magical funny silly yes. memorable yes. and we had none of that yeah. in, the, in the new one and part of that comes down to the approach it's that disney in the animated version said this is not a realistic film we're not trying to make a realistic version that unpacks the original poem of mulan in ancient china what we're doing is taking the basis of that story which is a really incredible story and using it as a template um, to tell a modern retelling of it based off of American pop culture and, as you say, all these other uh, modern m- modern inspirations. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and there wasn't an attempt in the original Mulan, like you say, to, to, to go um, ultra-realistic. I mean, it's like, why not have Eddie Murphy as a character? It's like, mm. let's have an African-American guy voice the, the, a dragon, yeah, you know? Because yeah, yeah. it's funny and it's it's also like, let's use some star power to make it dynamic. And and in, and in, the, and in this one, in the latest version, like I said, we, we just didn't have that kind of eclectic energy that, that, I, that I think of when I think of Disney's films. Yeah. You know? And for me, another key point that I thought about when watching the two films was just the issue of character, really. Yes. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. just how in the animated version, the characters were incredible. They were characters. Yeah. They were all punchy. Even the, the, the people in the army, the men in the army. Oh, that, they were amazing. They were yeah. great. And Mulan is obviously an incredible character. And Mushu is an incredible character. Even the little... Um, the, the cricket. grasshopper cricket yeah. that doesn't say anything is a better character than some characters in the live action yeah. Mulan version. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ex- exactly. And, yeah. and, and that, um, that brings me to um, my next point, which is this, is that I, I think that the, the Mulan in the animated film is a really enjoyable character. I really mm. enjoyed watching her mm. on screen. I think her performance was so well animated. Her, 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 the, the voice actress did an amazing job but I must say, I was not convinced by the Mulan in, in the 2020 version. There was, there was, there was no. It didn't feel like there was any kind of um, personality or a life in her. There was a lot of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember I correctly, agree. but there's a lot of just you know, um, hundred a thousand yards staring that she does. It felt and, very dry. Too. Yeah, very that, dry. And yeah. And um, a bit lifeless, personally. And, 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 yeah, a bit lifeless. And 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 this this is unfortunately where um, where we where we see perhaps the limits of live action. Mm. You you know, I, I think that Mulan's a really good example of a story that almost suits animation because mm. 
because for example the, the the idea of mulan posing as a man it works in animation really well yeah. you can kind of get away with it mm. but in the live action there were moments where i was like okay this is feeling a little bit silly because she's clearly a woman yes and like you have to be blind to not see that yes um but you, you know what i've i've just thought right now if i were to remake this if i was tasked with a, rem- a live action remake of this kind of film a way i would probably go about it is approach it from the traditional Chinese genre of the wuxia genre, which is a film like Hero or these... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. One of these kung fu epic films. Because what those kind of films do is they embrace the fact that what we're dealing with is not a reality. It's based off like ancient Chinese literature, which is almost biblical. It's like these these epic stories um, and the fight scenes aren't realistic. They're all on wires and they're flying through the air and they're fighting in ridiculously outrageous ways. So that works if everyone, if all the characters in the film stick to those kind of wuxia rules, then it works. But for me, it doesn't work if you try to, on the one hand, try and make the film semi-realistic. And then on the other hand, Mulan is able to tap into this weird chi power which gives us superhuman abilities it's like a very mixed as an audience we're getting mixed signals i think i think this is a great opportunity now to bring in what arguably might have been one of the most divisive issues for fans of the original which is the the complete absence of music uh, one of the things that made the original mulan so enjoyable were these amazing songs you know Mm. i'll make a man out of you um and there's one, there's another song that she sings um, early on when she's preparing. Yes, to go yeah, it's, a, it's quite an emotional song. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know th- those songs were were wonderful in the original. I really enjoyed them, and they 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 helped create this atmosphere of magic, whimsicality. Yes. Um, and I was really sad to see that um, they didn't feature at all. Except there were these moments, and, and ironically, this is actually, well, not ironically, it makes sense. The moments of the latest Mulan that I enjoyed the most were these small little windows where they'd bring in the score of, yes, the, original. of the original. And then yeah. all of a sudden, something in me was like, oh, yes, finally, this is what I was hoping for in this film. Yes. Some kind of connection to the original. Mm. And unfortunately those moments are far and few between and i just think that if they missed a huge opportunity here if they had if they had lent into that fan the the love that the fans have for the music and and the and the lyrics because the lyrics are powerful you know yes. i'll make a man out of you etc it's a really you know strong ideas particularly given the this this whole me too thing that we've lived through the past you know few years mm. It's like, this is such a relevant story. Yeah, it's and, very relevant. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that was lost. A lot of the, the, the energy was lost in the absence of the, the soundtrack. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I guess, again, ironically, as you mentioned, we're living in an era where this, this film is incredibly relevant. And yet I felt that the, the animated version made in 1998 almost was more empowering <laughs> yeah. in a way than the version made in 2020 by yeah. a female director and it's very which ironic, yeah. I, I thought that was a bit strange because in the original as we've mentioned the whole point is that there's this journey that she goes on and how does she defeat her enemies it's through her intellect it's through being thinking about things in creative ways finding creative solutions so it's 
and it's really inspiring i think to to everyone it's showing that she is this ordinary character but through her through the way she thinks and uh is able to solve solutions um yeah she's able to defeat mm. defeat all these enemies Whereas yeah. in the live action version, how does she do that? Just by being a superhero. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's literally a superhero in the in the new version. Yeah, I, I think it's important to just. Build. So it's kind of like if you're not a superhero, then yeah, too then bad screwed. for you. Then yeah, you're screwed. Right. That's kind of the message of the new one. At yeah. least that's what I took away from yeah, it. Yeah, it's a, if you're a normal woman, then you can't actually participate in the man's world. Exactly, you, you have to be born a superpower. Only if you're an outlier, an incredible yeah. person. Which is ironically like an almost regressive message. I, I would say so. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that wasn't the director's intention, but that's that's unfortunately what I took away from it. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that it's really just building on your point. I think it's really interesting to to remind ourselves that. The original Mulan movie made by Disney was not actually a kung fu movie. Mm. You know, if you if you watch it again, there's actually very few scenes where Mulan is using kung fu or martial arts to defeat her enemies. Yeah, a lot of the time she's either running away or like ducking or using fireworks or using clever in, means in clever to, ways, to yes. defeat her enemies. And even then, it's quite mm. a struggle. When yeah, she's setting up the fireworks, she can't light it and yeah. she has to... And, and ironically, yeah. that's almost more realistic. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which is crazy, you know? But, but again, it's like, what's important is the thought behind her ideas. Yeah. Not necessarily her physicality or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you think of how she defeats the Huns in the animated film... What she does is she she doesn't fight them. Yeah. She 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 doesn't she, jump from horse to horse and no, and, and kick, fight a hundred characters and kick everyone and or she, and she doesn't kick spears in, in the air. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't Matrix get over that. In the, in, in the latest one, she kicks like six spears and arrows <laughs> at people. But yeah. in the original, what she does is she takes a, a firework or like a, a rocket. And she she runs bravely out into the battlefield and quite clumsily and clumsily yeah, at and, times and also recklessly yes and, and that's where we see the character Mulan from the beginning of the film We've got yes this reckless character but actually her recklessness is also the, the the blessing in disguise because it's helping motivate her bravery at, so, and at, what she does is yeah. she sticks the thing in the snow and Mushu uh, uh, it's such a great scene she fires the rocket into the mountain to cause an avalanche and yes. as and Mushu's stuck on the end of the missile and, <laughs> and he says to her like how could you miss the leader of the Huns he was right in front of you yeah and that's when you realize like no Mulan you don't get it Mulan's not fighting like a man yes she's using her intellect to create an even bigger yes. avalanche, which is going to like basically destroy the whole army. To you know? fight in a clever way. Yeah, to fight and, in a clever way. And, yeah. and once again, it's this beautiful build-up right from the beginning of the film, which shows her clumsiness and her bravery and her all these characteristics, which when she makes that decision and rushes towards the Huns, you're like, no, that's totally something she would do. Yeah, it's totally it's something like, she would do. Yeah. You, know, you, you never once during that movie feel like, she acts out of out of character. Like yeah. her character informs every action she takes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess maybe coming on finally to the more visual side of things, um, talking a bit about the cinematography. Um, we've talked about the color and that aspect of it, and I found it quite clumsy. Another thing visually I really didn't like was the use of VFX. Um, yes. I, I thought yeah. the use of VFX... So unnecessary. It was so unnecessary. I mean, I mean, for example, how yeah. how how they greenlit the use of fabric as a weapon. 
Yeah. I mean, what on earth? <laughs> Whose idea was that? To use to use fabric as some kind of weapon that you could that the, even the emperor was doing it at the end. He was using his his scarf to like whip people and kill people. I and mean, it was I crazy. mean, they they do that sometimes in Wuxia films, I guess. But once again, if you're trying to make you can't have it both ways. You can't make a film that on the one hand is trying to be realistic and on the other hand uses fabric to yeah. whip people away. And again, coming back to what, this Nikki Caro interview that I read, she said that the reason they had excluded the music, <coughs> excuse me, the reason that they excluded the music was that they were interested in making a more realistic film. So she, she, for example, said that you wouldn't burst into song on your way to war. But that's like, okay, Nikki Caro, but if, if if that's the case, then why on earth are these people killing each other with, with their scarves and their silk robes? And visually, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, if you're buying into a totally realistic world, then don't have an overabundance of really fake looking VFX. Then use practical effects. Yes. You know, it's like either one or the other. I also, I also think that they could have really done a lot for the film if they'd excluded the strange witch character. I thought that she was totally unnecessary. Maybe she's part of the original Chinese story. But again, I, I come back to this issue, which is, look, there's, there would be nothing. I don't think our criticism would be as harsh, at least mine wouldn't be, without the 1998 film. Mm. But the fact that this is a film made by Disney and mm. the fact that Disney made this other film called Mulan in 1998 means that so many people expected there to be more of, an, of yes. a homage to the original. So, so the featuring of the strange VFX, the strange Wujiang, what's it called? Wujia. Wujia um, f- physics. But and, not really. Yeah. It's, it's like, like half it's half kind half. of half-half. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, the flaw of it. Yeah. And um, I, I guess finally, sort of, sort of wrapping up, um, Oh, I've just lost my point. Maybe, maybe you have something to say. <laughs> well, I think I think that um, I I was just let down by the modern films, the twenty twenty versions' uh, preoccupation with fighting and with war. I think that what people, what what the what the team lost in the latest interpretation of of the story was um, the. Was the was the simplicity that the that the original had? You know, the yeah, the, exactly. the original wasn't was was largely about Mulan's preparation for the kind of crescendo of the film, which was a small battle sequence on the mountain mm. where we see the, Mulan create the avalanche, and then and then a series of fight sequences which take place at the Emperor's palace during the great celebrations at the end. Yeah, but most of the film actually is. Mulan training and a lot of comedic experiences with the, with Mushu. It's the hero's journey. It's yeah. a slow progression of character. Whereas the modern version was just, it just felt like it was all about war and fighting and this ridiculous um, uh, style of fighting as well, which which completely robbed the film of of, it, of its tension. Because again, Mulan just, every single scene you were like, okay, well, Mulan's going to catch the arrow or she's going to kick the arrow at someone or she's not going to get hit. Yes. It's like the Superman problem. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've remembered my point, which is kind of the final point I want to make, which is that I think there are two ways of doing a remake. The one is to closely follow the original. Like the Lion King. Like version. the Lion King, for example. And then the other is to go about it in a very different direction. Um, and both are valid ways, but I think this is why it's so difficult to do uh, to make a good remake, 
because everyone is going to be referencing the initial film, which is usually very good, good enough to warrant it being remade. So either it's going to suffer from being compared to the original, if you go the route of trying to make it like the original, or it's going to, or it has to be so good that it really differentiates itself from the original. For example, like Kubrick's version of The Shining did from the original source material of Stephen King's novel, The Shining. Um, so I think if you are going the route of trying to differentiate it, then it really has to be an extraordinary new interpretation of the source material. Yeah. So I, th- I think Mulan failed in that regard, personally. I mean, uh, there's there's a number of uh, Mulan films that have been made uh, you know, in China. So for example, uh, Mulan Rise of, of a Warrior is a 2009 film, which uh, I actually saw another YouTube channel um, mention as a good example of a live action interpretation of the story. It's a lot more gritty. It's a lot more um, realistic. And he, he used it as an example of like a live action version that actually works. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I haven't seen it. So yeah. Comment no, I haven't seen it either, yeah. but I think that both of us should actually probably watch it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I, I just want to echo your points. I think that if you're going to do a remake, you should either pay homage to the original um, or like you said, do something, uh, do something new. And, and I think, that, you know, they, they, what they should have actually done is they should have actually changed the name of the film. Mm. What they should have done is they should have come up with a new name and said, you know, based on the story of Mulan yeah. or something like that. From a marketing point of view, though, we know Disney's never going to do that because <laughs> but, it is the name that draws the viewership. Right. But, but at the yeah. same time, in a way, it's, it's that marketing strategy, which ironically leads to them shooting themselves in the foot because what happens i agree they call it mulan people are like okay cool well you've called it mulan because it's probably going to be like your other film called yes, Mulan, yeah. which which again is the same we can say that for aladdin for lion king for the jungle book um but then what happens it's a it's a it's a it's a massive disappointment and a massive failure yeah. um, and part of it comes down to again i think these big studios should not be doing as many remakes. It's as simple as that, from my point of view. Yeah. Put more money into original storytelling. But, it's like, but what I don't understand is, I don't yeah. know, I think that they could have actually made a lot of money on this film. No, they could have. And I think that the way that they could have done that is simple. They should have had Mushu. They should have had Eddie Murphy reprise his role. Yeah. That, would have been, that would have made the film a viral sensation. People would have been like, because Eddie Murphy hasn't yes. been on the scene in a while. Yeah. So it would have been this amazing kind of return, almost like a John Travolta return in Pulp Fiction. Yes, yeah. They could have had the return of Eddie Murphy, which would have been a major Which would have, points. again, brought more character, more yeah. humor. And, and it, yeah. it would have made people more interested in the movie. Mm. They could have had um, the cricket character in CGI. They could have had the grandmother character. They completely missed out on that funny grandmother character. Yeah. And um, and they just could have been... A, and, and of course, they could have been music. And I think mm. that would have made it uh, a lot more enjoyable. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, those are some interesting thoughts. And uh, maybe we should uh, wrap up the podcast, unless you have any more thoughts on the film. Well, I think this is part of a larger conversation that you and I are having about the strange relationship between live-action filmmaking and animation. Mm. Uh, and we're particularly, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, we're seeing this, we're seeing this, uh, this conversation becoming more and more relevant as Disney releases more and more live-action versions of these animated classics. Yes. And uh, as an animator myself, it's a, it's a really cool opportunity to sit down and think and discuss the, 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 the unique nature of animation because clearly these animated classics were able to accomplish things and create experiences 
that the live action versions, in my opinion, just can't quite meet. Yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. reason that most of these live action movies, at least from a critical standpoint, fail in comparison to the animated versions. Yeah. Um, and pretty much all of them, I can't think of a single remake of an animated version which has exceeded or even met the expectations of the original. Which makes you wonder, you know, why doesn't Disney uh, take a quarter of these budgets that they're putting into these live action reboots and try create some animated classics like like some original yes, animated classics let, let's create a new generation totally of classics exactly you know like what's the next mulan what's the next lion king yeah because it feels like we've almost exhausted the stories and the only studio that i can think of that's really creating a great original content is um you know studios like pixar um spa studios released klaus which was one of the best animated features i've seen in a yes. while yeah. and i think that klaus is a good example of the kind of potential that there is for for original animate traditionally animated stories yeah and i mean look i'm sure there are a lot of disney executives that would be able to sit down in a room and say numbers wise this is the best business decision because of yada 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 but then you do get these versions like mulan where you spend 200 million dollars on it and it doesn't recoup its investment and it does kind of make you wonder well if you'd spread that investment over for um, $50 million films, you know, would you not have done better on average through diversifying your investment yeah. over four original Disney films? Yeah. And I, I personally would think yes, but I guess it's up to these business executives. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Mulan is a, is a sad example of a film that is just too contrived, whether it's the decision to cast, whether it's a, a, um, the decision to cast a certain director to have it written by certain people, to have the film starring certain people. Um, to me, there's not enough of uh, genuine, authentic motivation in the film. There's a lot of uh, pretension and uh, almost, uh, let's say, put, um, the involvement of, of, of too many chefs. There's too many chefs in the kitchen on, on Mulan. I agree. And, and once again, it kind of goes halfway. It's like, on the one hand, it's trying to draw from this Chinese style of filmmaking but it doesn't have any Chinese involvement from actual Chinese people, which is kind of ironic. Apart from its apart from its cost. Yeah. So either go kind of all the way Disney or go all the way Chinese and hire more Chinese people that are going to tell you, no, this this dialogue is very cheesy and very cliched. Mm. But, um, but, it's kind of, yeah, don't sit in the middle, I would say. Yeah. But, but, but again, this is my last point and then we, and then we can wrap up. I think that what unfortunately we're losing in today's world, which has become, you know, art, the art world is becoming increasingly concerned with political correctness. I, I think that uh, ironically, what we're losing is the authentic um, voice, authentic voices, which we know from the classics. So, for example, if you look at the original Mulan, it's not trying to be anything else other than an American interpretation of a Chinese story which is why they had any Murphy. It's why they had the film directed by Americans. It, there wasn't any... Yeah. They, they, Again, weren't, they didn't try to go half and yeah. half. They went full American. They went full Disney. Yeah, and exactly. that's why it was successful. And, and, so either go full Chinese or go full Disney. Don't go in the middle. Yeah, because you, you can't please you everyone. You can't make everyone happy. And, and again, Disney is not a Chinese company. So yeah. Disney doesn't have to be fully Chinese. Mm. Um, if Chinese people want to go and make a Mulan movie, which they have done, like, hey, they can do it and they've done it. And, and it's probably going to be better. <laughs> and it's probably going to be better. Than this one, at least. Yeah, yeah. but this one, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head, Greg. This one, this one was 
caught in the middle of two different worlds. It was trying to please too many people. And at, in the end, we, we failed to see any kind of meaningful um, experience emerge from the story. Because that's the funny thing about directors. At the end of the day, the auteurs that are best known and most respected are directors who tell stories very strongly from their own points of view. They don't cave to different people. They don't try and please everyone. Mm. They say, this is the film. This is exactly how I'm going to tell it. And uh, usually that way of storytelling, I would say, is more successful. Yeah. Well, I uh, look forward to the next conversation. Perhaps we can, uh, in future podcasts, at some point we can maybe discuss The Lion King or Aladdin. Certainly. Um, And if you guys out there have any suggestions for any future films or animated uh, films you'd perhaps like to see discussed uh, or hear discussed, uh, let us know in the comments. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, and if you have any ideas about uh, Mulan uh, 2020 or the original, uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, I'm sure that we're not alone in our criticism, but it would also be interesting to hear what you appreciated in the new film. And maybe you saw something that we didn't see. Maybe there was something that you uh, picked up on that uh, went over our heads. Maybe even preferred the live action version more than the animated version. Either way, we'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. So my name is Greg. Uh, You can find my channel In-Depth Annie uh, on YouTube. Uh, I don't think that uh, by the time this podcast is released, my first video won't be up, but it should be up sometime this week. And And, uh, I'm Gray, uh, and you can find me at In-Depth Cine on YouTube or at my website in the link in the description. As as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our discussion. Uh, This has been a in-depth film podcast Uh, we like to talk about everything related to the art of cinema and as we said in the beginning uh, please show your support for for our channel by subscribing liking this video and sharing it with your friends thanks guys cool see you in the next video see you cheers